Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm one man against a nation. And I am the nation of domination. Uh, you should corroborate in the future. <laughs> Welcome to episode 236, Royal Rumble 1997. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Clean. You know that song? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I knew what you were going for. It's a good song. Good little throwback to yeah. WrestleMania 3 there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't sing, though. It's just like Ozzy does it. I mean, Ozzy really can't sing. He's just awesome. So this is the 10th annual Royal Rumble produced by the WWF. It would take place on January 19th, 1997 from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. With an attendance of 60,477 people. Woo! Dang. I mean, damn. Flair's not here. (laughs) But 13,000 of those tickets were given away. Yeah. While the rest of the tickets were sold at a very discounted price. Basically, to give perspective, I found that a Madison Square Garden house show made more money. Than this Royal Rumble. Damn! So they booked, they booked the this big old venue, and we're like, hmm, how are we gonna fill it? One third the price for tickets, and then we'll give uh, two thousand to every radio station. What'll make people love us? Free stuff. I mean, it looks it's an incredible visual. Like that was my first big takeaway when yeah. uh, they showed the crowd. It was like incredible. Yeah. Whatever puts asses in seats, man. You know what doesn't? Shawn Michaels, it looks like. <laughs> Not putting asses in seats. Or, I mean, is it the, your champion? This is, <laughs> WWF is at their low point. Yeah, for sure. They're, Vince probably overstepped by booking the Alamo Dome. Yeah. Like, put it in an arena, have but your, your 12,000 people that pay, you know. That it was possibly booked long before the NWO. I mean, it's possible. Hit the map. The other thing is, like, like there's a thing to be said about appearances, and this appears to look incredible. So even if he took a hit on the show, like, or didn't make as much money as a Madison Square Garden house show, this makes this look like a hot product, and then you need to book a show that might bring people back, or keep them interested, or bring in new people, because, I mean, visually, it's pretty stunning. Absolutely. So Shane, we're in San Antonio. Damn right we are. Texas. Is there another San Antonio? <laughs> maybe. I, maybe. I, I was trying to think of the uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Swimming pools. Yeah. Movie stars. I was like gonna go through that, and then I just like oh, blanked. Literally said Texas, and then just blanked completely. Like, what is? I can't even think of the melody anymore. <laughs> it's all left me. But did you do what you do? I kind of did. We are in Texas. We uh, 
in San Antonio. I haven't been to San Antonio since I was a kid. I need to get back down there sometime. Yes. I don't even remember the last time I was I think I was like seven, maybe. It was something like that for me, too. I remember riding in the back of my... Uh, for me and Shane's a really long time ago. <laughs> riding in the back of station wagon with the back seat that faced backwards. And driving down the highway, replaying Corey Hart. I wear my sunglasses at night over and over and over and over with my cousin Jamie sitting next to me as we were singing along. More than likely driving everybody in the fucking car insane. <laughs> but anyways, we... Uh, we're in Texas, which has a wide variety of different food options that, you know, you got your Tex-Mex, you got your tamales, you got your barbecue. But I was digging around a little more, and I found out that a certain place got its start in San Antonio, something that many people probably ate during the uh, Royal Rumble 1997 and possibly still continue to eat during wrestling shows today. A little place known as Church's Chicken. Got its start, San Antonio, 1952, uh, across the street from the Alamo. Uh, it was opened by uh, George W. Church, and uh, it's gone on to nationwide popularity, throwing competition to uh, the big, I'd say big dog, but uh, the big chicken, big, big cluck. The rooster of the chicken world. There we go. Um, yeah, throwing some competition to KFC, formerly known as Kentucky Fried Chicken, or possibly known as that again. I don't Terry know. Terry Taylor's much better than Church's Chicken. Terry Taylor? Red Rooster, baby. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah, Church's Chicken, it's it's one of the the more popular chicken places out there as far as your fast food chicken goes. You got your KFC, you got your Church's, you got your Popeye's. I think Popeye's is the one that everybody talks about now because of the chicken sandwich from a few years ago. Yeah, nobody talks about that chicken sandwich it's anymore. It's not that good. I don't think, I think Popeye's is overrated and yeah. shitty. What Popeye's did was smart in the sense that got people talking about a chicken sandwich and then eliminated it from their menu because of, I can't even remember the full reason, but basically they couldn't keep it in stock, they said. Yeah. Places were selling chicken sandwiches all over the rest of the country, but for some reason Popeye couldn't get couldn't get chicken. I think it might just be that Popeyes in Oklahoma are awful because I've heard people rave about Popeyes, but I've never had a good Popeyes in my life, and I've probably only had. I will say Popeyes, Popeyes in Oklahoma City. I mean, the only they one I do know, not care about their restaurant. The only one that I know is their product gas station. So, oh, the one up the street from here is Boo Boo. Uh huh. I've I've gone to corporate Popeyes and Twitter Popeyes because it's like how long is this sign going to be dangling over people's cars before it falls and you know chop somebody's head off final <laughs> have, destination yeah. style I have friends that swear by it and they're like when it's good it's good but it's not always good and it's like <laughs> there's a reason that you know there's a reason yeah there's a reason McDonald's uh, is killing us all because it's consistent it might not be great but it's consistent I mean that's yeah the reason uh, the, what's it called the Chick-fil-A always has a huge line. It's consistent. Mm. Get your pre-cooked chicken. Yeah. Love it. But yeah, churches, I went with just the uh, original variety tonight. It's extremely crispy as well. Some mashed potatoes and gravy, a little mac and cheese. It comes with their little uh, honey biscuit. I mean, it's always, churches has always been a solid choice for me. I worked for them many a year ago at an express stop in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's when I uh, 
discovered and continue to talk to this day when people talk about Shane getting in some sort of a mascot costume. Shane's too big for mascot costumes typically because they try to put me in a chicken suit to have me stand out on a corner with a, one of those little signs to try mm. and draw people in in the middle of summertime and nope. It, it happened. It took a long mm. time to get into that suit and a whole lot longer to get out of that suit. But yeah, churches has always been good. I've been going I'm there since I was a kid. Pictures. Yeah, I know. I remember I worked at a... There are no pictures. I worked at a pizza place and they got like a pizza <laughs> costume and they're like, you know, you want to go out in the pizza costume? And it's like, I'd rather quit right now. It's like, I, I would rather quit than go out in the pizza costume. And they're like, all right. Luckily, there was other people that uh, were eager about the pizza costume because the guy didn't really appreciate my answer. But I was a hard worker, so, you know. He, he was, he, it's not for everybody to get in a, in a costume and stand on the side of the road. So I have like vivid memories of going to churches when I was a kid because I thought it was, you know, like the fancy chicken place oh, to go to. yeah. I remember their little sponsorship or partnership they had when Rocky Four was coming out. Somewhere in a cedar chest in Nebraska, there is Shane's Church's Rocky Four oh. t-shirt because that was my pride and joy. That's after. pretty sick. Yeah. That's awesome. It's one of the, the few things that I've held on to from my childhood, and I owe it all to church chickens. It's probably so. like maybe the eighth, fifth time. Like anytime I got church's chicken, I got like a sandwich, but I never, churches was never really a thing. Maybe I, I, when I was a kid, I was in California. I don't even know if it was out there that, then. They've uh, done some rebranding a little bit here in the last couple of years, going from Church's Chicken to Church's Texas Chicken, or Texas-style chicken or something like that. But, I mean, it's it's Church's. I'm going to say right now, the sides were fine, mm-hmm. but the chicken was great. There's nothing worse than, like, fried chicken that's not crunchy. No. And this fried chicken was delivered and still crunchy as shit. Speaking of crunchy, shall we? Drum roll. Which, which one of these do I want? We'll go for this one. This one's got some good noise to it as I'm picking it up. All right. Microphone. Hear me eat. Here we go. Churches. One, two, three. Yep. Lots of crunch. Yep. Sound like you're biting bones over there. Nope. No bones. I mean, there's just bones. all crispy breaded, delicious chicken skin and meat. Mm-hmm. Sometimes fried chicken can be like too salty. This is a nice, it's the best piece of fried chicken I've had in a while. I don't eat fried chicken very often, but uh, there's nothing worse than a bad piece of fried chicken. Though. Yes. So something that would happen right around the same time as the Royal Rumble, Mike Judge and Greg Daniels would team up to create King of the Hill, which would make its debut a week earlier. After the Super Bowl. I remember watching it. I have a vivid memory of, because they always would be like, new episode of The Simpsons after the Super Bowl, or like the first episode of the season, or whatever. Uh, or maybe I had a guest star, but sometimes it's like, Super Bowl, this is where we put the first episode of a new show on, because it's going to have the most viewers. And that first episode of The King of the Hill, I remember watching it at a Super Bowl party as a kid with like friends of the family and whatnot, and uh, everyone was just shitting on this dumb show. And if you go back and look at it, the animation in that first episode of King mm-hmm. of the Hill is horrendous. It's but, but it went on to be, arguably, in my opinion, one of the greatest. And like, we'll consider it a sitcom because they don't do anything that you can't do in real life. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for this show to be animated. They take no liberties with the animation. It could have been, could have just been actors, but uh, it's better animated and. 
a shame that it eventually got canceled because for another Seth MacFarlane show because this show never got bad. It only got better and just continued to stay good all the way up to the end. Truly a gem. So I didn't watch much King of the Hill. I mean, I've seen some. There's some standout episodes of... It's typically centered around Bobby Hill. I mean... I don't know you. That's my purse. I mean, yeah, that's probably the Um, most famous... uh, Like, you know, everything has a... Every long-running show has, like, some kind of catchphrase that catches on at some point, and that was the the big one for that show. My uh, ex-brother-in-law used to quote it often to me. His favorite to quote to me was, you ain't much, but you're all I got. Apparently something that Hank said to Bobby, I'm uh, guessing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was more Beavis and Butthead when it came to Mike Judge animation. King of the Hill, I think possibly because of the night that it was on, I always worked. And yeah. it was either I had to set my VCR to record king of the hill or i don't even remember what night it was on but yeah, it has recorded yeah. something else it has the rewatchability of like a frazier or a seinfeld mm-hmm. as far as like quality and entertainment goes and it never dips the way that the last couple of seasons of seinfeld do king of the hill stays strong all the way to the last episode like i said the animation's kind of bad and it gets better as it and like the show gets better as it goes on but yeah just so many uh, great characters uh, and great guest appearances. Tom Petty uh, was a regular on there. Brittany Murphy. I know you love Brittany Murphy. Oh, yeah. That's why I was just double-checking. Yeah. Like, making sure I was thinking of the right one. Yeah. Brittany Murphy, Kathleen Jimmy, Stephen Root. Yeah. Pam, uh, excuse me, Pamela Alden did the voice of Bobby Hill. Yep. Or Adlin or whatever her last name is. But, yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a bad thing to say about King of the About you, Matt. Actually, this is a show that I never watched. <sighs> Highly suggested. I was kind of guessing I mean, because you've been sitting there quiet and hadn't really chimed in a whole lot. Yeah, of it's yet. one of those that just kind of like I didn't really, I really don't, I didn't watch The Simpsons really either. Oh, wow, yeah. So like both both of these shows are kind of blind spots for me. It's yeah, the King of the Hill was like comfort food at one point in reruns. Like when I was in high school, they would play this like at night on Adult Swim and I'd be like alright well while I'm going to sleep I'll watch these couple episodes of uh, King of the Hill and I mean The Simpsons when I was a little kid they played every day at like 5 or probably like 6 o'clock for two episodes and uh, it's not a show like that as an adult I've gone back and rewatched The Simpsons a lot but as a kid I watched it so much that I could tell by the couch gag or what Bart wrote on the uh on the chalkboard if I had seen the episode or not but yeah King of the Hill I did I, think I did a rewatch like full rewatch like a decade ago I think you know whenever it ended and uh, it is yeah it's an easy and entertaining watch I mean I know they did announce a revival oh, of really? the series never earlier this year never should have died I'm sure the Cleveland show was fine but I'm, I doubt it was better than King of the Hill but I guess uh, basically, there's going to be a time jump taking place years after the series finale, where Bobby is older. Ooh, that sounds. It's kind of one of the reasons that you know I don't I haven't watched South Park in forever. But one of the reasons that show, some of those shows work, is that they stay the same age. So it'd be interesting if they can pull it off. And I'm I mean, I, th- for it. I think they were going to have to do something because a few of the voice actors have passed away. Yeah, I think that Brady Murphy died before the show ended. I could be wrong, though. 
passed in 2009 and the show ended in, in 2010. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so she, she probably had it all recorded before. Yeah. It's a bummer when we it's an incredible like, character. There's like I said, there's no bad characters in that Because like Johnny right? Hardwick had already recorded a couple of episodes of Dale before he passed away. Oh, yeah, I didn't year. know he was dead. Of which show? Of the character. Of, of Dale. the character Dale. Oh, gotcha. Johnny Hardwick was the voice of him. Um, but he just, he like literally just died like a few weeks ago. Hmm. Yeah. August 8th. Damn. Crazy. So, I mean, I, I mean, Dale th- is, this is Dale's one, this one of the best characters on the show. This There's is no one bad of, characters on the show. It's this so good. one of those shows that like literally it's on my list of shows that, like I said, you'll get to blind spot. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully I don't die before I'm able to watch it, but you know, I'll get to it at, hopefully at some point. Yeah. It's uh it's on the ever long list of yeah things I need to watch. Death. I'd put it above some things, but you know, like, I'm sure, I, yeah, I, I'd probably put it above a bunch of things too. It's just <laughs> yeah. still having to get to it. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like I've seen Seinfeld so many times, uh, but it's like you can't just go back and just rewatch Seinfeld all the time. You got to do other things. They may not they might not be as good, but you got to diversify. Well, let's talk some wrestling. Do it. We get the WWF logo before going into a video package. For Shawn Michaels, it's always been about being champion. Sure, he was branded cocky, flamboyant, a brazen showman in his youth, but the heart of a champion was always there. The boyhood dream was realized at WrestleMania, but the true defining moment was at Survivor Series, where Shawn grew up caring less about the title and more about the welfare of his fallen mentor. Tonight isn't about ego or accolades. There's more than just a championship at stake. Tonight, it's about justice, redemption, and a rebirth of sorts. As San Antonio's favorite son returns home, a man. Boom, 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 boom. Sorry, guess he had sex? <laughs> I mean, I uh, probably a lot. Do sunny nights, sunny days. Mm-hmm. We get the Royal Rumble logo before Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, and the crowd's pretty loud, mm-hmm. along with the fan consistently whistling right behind our announcers. Oh my god! Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I thought I was having like. ECW rollover flashbacks or something like that. I just kept searching around trying to find whatever bitch or dude was standing there just like... It was literally the girl that was like right behind Vince. Oh. It was one of uh, Sean's family members. Oh. Lovely. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Good to know that they're all assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't really hear McMahon introduce Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross, who I don't know if you guys realize, but he debuts... His signature black hat. I did uh, show. I didn't put that together. That that was the the dawning of the crown. Nineteen ninety seven. Uh huh. The king smiles because he believes Sid will shut Michael's mouth before Vince introduces the Spanish and French announced teams. Also, at ringside. Woo. Ray and Papa Ray. Yep. And then Hugo. Savinovich or whatever his name was. Carlos yep. Cabrera and some other guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it's Ray Rougeau and I don't know his father's name. 
Uh, Jacques Rougeau's senior. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really what it was. Jacques Rougeau's senior. If that was the dad's name, I was just going to call him Mr. Rougeau. But we go straight to our first match. Goldust with Marlena versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley with Mr. Hughes for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. What's up, Curtis? So the last time we saw Hughes... He's a big guy. Was that Cyber Slam 96, episode 190? So it's been a little bit. Been a little bit. I'm just happy that he's getting the paycheck and not in the ring. And more than $50. Yeah. Lord <laughs> willing. So as the Golden One enters the arena, we get sent to a video package on the feud where Triple H believes he is better than everyone else and all women want him. Goldust is a bizarre enigma, and until recently, he left the truth up to our imagination, with the highlight of Lawler asking if he was, well, you know, only for the Golden One to admit that he is not, before knocking the king on his ass. On the actual video, like, this video yeah, package. Yeah. Did he actually say it? No, I think it, I think well, it was. Well, I mean, it was in, bleeped out, but well, you, you could tell what he was saying. Oh, yeah, because yeah. yeah, he, like, actually does say it. Yeah, because you could hear it start with the... So, yeah. I mean, hey, it's way less could offensive than other things he could have said. That's actually a, a term that is like celebrated and championed by a lot of the LGBT. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's changed meanings. Yeah, but it's the Q in LGBTQ. Also in the video package, Hunter hits on and then attempts to abduct Marlena. I know. I mean, he hasn't been coming out with ladies. Now he's coming out with Mr. Hughes. I mean, what a downgrade. And then Todd Pettengill, our narrator for the video, asks about everyone's motivations. Who is playing games? Is this Goldust's finest performance? Is the IC title his true desire? The idea that is like, is Goldust just playing games? Is he, did he lie about being gay? <laughs> is that what he's just insinuating? He never said he was gay. I know, but he asked him. He just wanted to, you know. He said no. But it was like, is that the game that he's playing? That he actually is? Like, I just, just asking questions here. Thought it was pretty funny. It's never been the same since Real Razor left. So the Golden One charges Triple H in the aisleway, taking the fight right to him before rolling him into the ring to continue the punishment. Hunter's tossed out to the floor with gold dust following out to drop Triple H onto a guardrail before turnbuckle smashes and mounted punches back in the ring, only for Hunter to counter with an atomic drop. Triple H goes for the pedigree, but the Golden One reverses it into a catapult that sends Hunter back out to the floor, where Goldust drops the steel steps across the back of Triple H. Oh my god. I love uh, the, the first like offense that Triple H gets on Goldust is an atomic drop. Right for the Nard. I mean, man. it makes so much sense. It's nice to know they thought about this. <laughs> the Golden One drags Hunter up to the apron, only to be hot-shotted across the top rope, allowing Triple H to regroup, while Vince tells us about a couple of fans named George and Adam that had been thrown out of the building. What do we care? He said something about on the free-for-all, like they had sh- like uh... they'd showed up to the building and had waited for tickets, and then they were interviewed on the free-for-all. I went and watched the free-for-all try and find out what some kind of background. That's that's how much I love you people. You're a better man than I am. I could not find a thing about it. Yeah, he said George Adams was like, who the 
fuck is Jordan Adam? I was like, is this an angle that I need to know about? I mean, I wrote it down because I was like, I got it down. If, too, if yeah. this comes back later in the show, I need to have set it up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm gonna tell you right now. Spoiler: nothing comes of this. Yeah. And so, well, why he even mentioned it at the very, very end? It does. Does it? Does it? Because yeah. I don't remember it. Yeah, you got people banging on the door. Let us in. Let us in. Yeah, that's how. I don't know if you want to cut that part there. That but. was probably cut out of the okay. network version then. Oh, maybe. So I wonder if something happened with one of Adam or George that had to have them removed from. <laughs> my my guess is it's just a two hour long bad joke that he thought was funny. Oh yeah, I mean it's typical McMahon humor. A three hour bad joke. So back in the ring, Hunter charges into a big boot, allowing Goldust to charge out of a corner with a clothesline, before a low kick from Triple H sends the Golden One rolling to the floor. Hunter comes off the top turnbuckle with a double axe handle, followed by tossing Goldust into a ring post. Posted. But he then charges at him against the guardrail with a high knee, only for the Golden One to avoid. Goldust attacks that knee with kicks and the ring steps before bringing Triple H back in to lock on a figure four, grabbing the ropes for leverage until the ref catches him. Hey, aren't you the face? <laughs> the Golden One continues to work on the leg with a chop block on the outside, followed by dropping Hunter knee first onto the steps. It's the most action this, these steps have gotten. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in quite a while, since, uh, since Sonny's been gone. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It's also funny to note that, like you said, there's sixty thousand people here. The tickets were cheaper, and a lot of the seats were given away. Marlena's getting the biggest pop of the night so far when they put her on those big old screens. So back inside, Goldust goes for a crossbody, only for Triple H to duck, sending the Golden One tumbling out to the floor, with Hunter following out to use the steel steps himself. Triple H then tries using Marlena's director's chair, but the ref finally decides that's one step too far, stopping Hunter, so he takes the fight back inside the ring. Jerry Lawler had a classic line here. He's like, I can't be mad at Marlena, especially when she's out there when she's wearing that outfit. It brings out the bust in her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have him like Bobby, but he's got him sometimes. So we go to picture in picture at this point mm-hmm. because Todd Pettengale has found Colin Ray in the crowd and decides to interview him. For those of you listening, Colin Ray was a country singer from the mostly the 90s. I think he rolled over into the 2000s. But so you, has he got a big hit you can grace our ears um, with? I'm trying to think. You don't have to. We don't his have big, to pause this. One so. boy, one girl is Big one hit of the, the time was... Uh, in this life, I was loved by you. He sounds like a ballad man. He is. He's he's very much a ballad man. It's like the '90s version of the Eagles, but for country radio. I mean, the '90s version of the Eagles was for country, country radio. radio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of every second, every minute, every hour of every day. If that was him. One boy, one girl. Not that different. I think about you. Those were the ones that had just. Yeah. Love Me. Came out right before. Yeah, those are the singles he's popping on. Yeah. Well, good for Colin. He's, uh, he's got some, some good 
karaoke tunes, you could say. Okay. Some songs I'd probably I mean, recognize. I'm not going to hate on Colin Ray. No, I like, like I've, I've sang... Like, he actually was a pretty good country guy for the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Like, he would not fit in country music nowadays, because he actually does country music instead of, you know, yeah. pop country like everyone now. But Yeah, I've, I've sang In This Life, One Boy, One Girl, Love Me, If I Were You... Damn, Shane's a Colin Ray super fan of him. I mean, I lived in Nebraska yeah. in, in the 90s, and Colin Ray was, was the man, you know, and then he you had Garth Brooks that had, like, the, the rock country, Colin Ray that had the, the love song country, Alan Jackson was your honky-tonk. Yep. Miller Ray Cyrus was for the children. He was gone by then. Okay. <laughs> Triple H with a knee drop, but it was with his bad knee. He's slow with a cover for a two-count, before both men go for clotheslines that gets us a double KO. Back to their feet, Goldust fires up with a back body drop before heading up top, only for Hunter to shove the ref into the ropes, causing the Golden One to crotch himself. Triple H then climbs up as well, but Goldust knocks him back down to the mat, only to then miss an elbow drop. Mr. Hughes then slides the belt into the ring to Hunter. So Marlena counters by jumping on the apron to distract Triple H. I mean, he's had his eye on her. He tried to abduct the, the poor woman. Only for him to grab her and kiss her. <gasps> Scandalous. But this allows the Golden One to grab the belt and nail Hunter. And Goldust <sighs> makes the cover, but Hughes pulls Triple H out of the ring to save him. Hey, he's doing his job. Followed by jumping on the apron to give Hunter time to recover. The Golden One then grabs Marlena's cigar and puts it out on Mr. Hughes' back, causing him to drop off the apron, with Triple H sneaking in from behind to deliver a clothesline and the pedigree for the pin and and the win. win. Yep, Marlena wipes her mouth in disgust, and she, she, uh, you know, enters the ring to check on her, her Golden One, the Man of Dust. The Bizarre. He's so bizarre. Vincent sends it to comments made earlier in the day. And we get Bret Hart in his locker room, saying he's a marked man, but it's nothing new. There's no turning back and no stopping him in the rumble, because only one man will stand in the end, and it will be me. We then go to Mankind in the boiler room, who says most people see the rumble as an opportunity for a title match at WrestleMania, but he sees it as a chance to hurt people he doesn't like, and even some he does. It's gonna be a nice day. Love to hear it. The Nation of Domination then enter the arena, as we now get sent to a video package about the Ahmed Farouk rivalry, where we see clips of Johnson yelling that Farouk is going down before Todd Pettengill's narration talks about Ahmed's breakout 1996, where he won a Slammy and the first ever Kuwait National Championship, followed by the Intercontinental title. The Kuwait Championship. <clears throat> Did we ever see that, though? Is that a, a... No, I don't think it was. I think it was literally like the house show greatest or... Royal Rumble okay. trophy type Just, thing. You know. It was a show that they went and ran over in Kuwait. Just making sure tournament. I needed a... Lock One it up night. in the memory bank for you know next year's trivia. <laughs> if we ever do see it, Quaint. And then they say it, yeah, and say it ten times. 1996 Quaint Championship. 
But Farouk puts an end to it all when he ruptured Johnson's kidney. So now this turf war has turned personal. Ahmed promises to settle it either in or out of the ring, while Farouk found reinforcements in the Nation of Domination, an army of mercenaries. Can the power of one overcome the strength of a nation? No. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, yeah, the Nation theme song is so good. Yes. I mean, not the rapping part, but just the music and we are the nation. But I, nation. I actually forgot about the rapping part of it just because it eventually think, fades out. Yeah, I don't think it lasts very long. It, I don't know, it adds that just little something, I guess maybe not necessarily that I was missing, but just that I forgot about it's it. It's like, the, oh yeah, these it, guys are... It's not the worst to the shit. ring rapping we've seen in wrestling. No. That's for sure. It, like, even, yeah, up to this point. There are no R-Truth moments in it. Stupid raps. Rapping about nothing. Talking about little Jimmy. What's up? <laughs> What's up? I want the best for R-Truth. I do, too. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I want his secret to everything because dude's been around for like 30 years and still looks the same as he did when he first jumped into the business yeah okay quick and he can totally work it's like he's is charismatic and funny but like he can also just be a badass he looks great but this isn't uh his time to shine this is time for ahmed johnson it's a big comeback so we go to our second match farouk with the nation of domination versus ahmed johnson and there there's a man in the nation did you like i'm sure you guys all saw him in the suit move the neck Yep. He's got a cute little haircut on him. Actually kind of popped my neck doing that. Yeah, you got to be careful. It always blew my mind that he could do that. Uh So Ahmed rushes the ring and tackles Farouk, working him over with right hands and kicks till the militant rolls out to the floor to regroup. Johnson falls out to ram Farouk into a ring post before returning to the ring where Ahmed continues the punishment until the militant rakes the eyes. And Farouk has a belt tossed to him from outside but he misses an aided clothesline, only for Johnson to come off the ropes with a leaping shoulder tackle. And Ahmed picks up the belt and begins to whip Farouk over and over. A bunch. Until the militant can escape back out to the floor. Now Johnson follows out to run Farouk into the ring steps several times, but the militant gets away by tossing one of the young men in suits into Ahmed, who, as you mentioned, you could probably recognize as a young D'Lo Brown. I know he's got that. He's but got. He does not have a name here. No, no, no he don't say it. It's just he's, he's just nation member. You know, he's got a very nation dis- member number one distinctive face. <laughs> but his his little haircut so funny and cute. He's got like a little pre broccoli haircut. Mm-hmm. Just a you know a little tuft on his head. Ninety seven, which allows Farouk to nail a clothesline. The Milton then grabs a chair and drops Johnson kidney first onto it before smashing it across the back multiple times. Now back in the ring, Farouk continues the attack on the kidney area with stomps, punches, and a chin lock. But while the militant is boasting to the crowd, Ahmed rises to his feet with Farouk on his shoulders to nail an electric chair drop. I will say that a lot of the time, like somebody working somebody's like liver or kidney, you'd be like, pick a limb, brother, this is wrestling. But because of the angle's been going on for a long time, and Ahmed was away... It wins maybe a little too long, but I like Ahmed Johnson. And, the you know, the the chair being the first, like, big shot on it. It's like, it's working here better than better than it does a lot of times. Well, plus he's just returned from having internal 
injuries and bleeding and yeah. stuff. So, you know, it only makes sense to go for it now. The organs instead of the tree trunk he calls a leg. <laughs> the militant makes it back to his feet first and heads up top, only for Johnson to catch and drop him with a power slam. Ahmed sends Farouk to the ropes and goes for a Thez press, but the militant catches him and drops him with a spine buster. Farouk goes back to his taunting, allowing Johnson to make it to his feet to deliver a spine buster of his own, which brings Crush and the rest of the nation in to cause a disqualification. And now it's too long. Now it's officially too long. Post-match, Ahmed fights them all off before press slamming one of the nation's rappers over the ropes on top of everyone. And Johnson starts to leave, but the nation doesn't give up that easy as they continue to attack in the aisle. And Crush takes Farouk to the back, but that leaves one of the men in suits, not D'Lo, men in suit number two, Yeah, to be stalked back towards the ring by Ahmed. And they make their way towards the announce table area, where Johnson slams his head into the steel steps before putting him through the French announce table with a Pearl River plunge. Pretty wild looking, you know, plunge through that table. Also funny, nice to know the hierarchy. Number one being the U.S. announced table. Number two being the Mexican announced table. And number three being, if they were going to have a French announced table, your table's getting broken first, buddy. Yep. North, south, uh-huh. east, west. So McMahon sends us two more comments from earlier, where we get Terry Funk. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Who says the other wrestlers are bigger, faster, younger, and stronger. But this is his state. He's Texas bred, Texas fed, and born to rumble. Yes, you are, Terry Funk. Absolutely. Yes, you are. We then go to the back, and Todd Pettengill's there with the Nation of Domination. And he says that what we just saw was just incredible. But I was like, Aldo Montoya is not in the Nation. <laughs> that took me a second there. <laughs> Todd continues that it's the first shot in a war with Ahmed. And Clarence Mason agrees. But Farouk interrupts. And he starts berating the Nation members for not helping enough. Telling a woman and a random man he will deal with them later. That's right. Don't you ever leave me out there by myself or something, because what are they going to do? They're like half his size put together. But there's like five of them. No, these two that he was pointing out. Oh, yeah. Fruk then warns Johnson he will put him away if he sees him in the rumble before calling Ahmed and Uncle Tom. Ouch. Yeah, they haven't thought of any other burns, really, but... (laughs) We then go to our third match, Vader versus The Undertaker. And Vince points out that Jim Cornette is absent from Vader's corner. And the reason, and the story I guess, is that Corny had cut a promo on the dead man, saying the Mastodon would put Taker in a body bag. The Undertaker would chokeslam Cornette and put him inside that body bag and would be carried off to the back. All the way back to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Actually, just to the back, as this was done to (laughs) ride him off TV so that he could focus more on his creative team duties. Okay. Is Smoky Mountain closed up now? At this point? I don't know. Exactly. Just curious. 
I mean, Stan Lane's probably still running it. Yeah. So Vader hesitates at first, but jumps the dead man when he turns to place his jacket in the corner, only for Taker to avoid. The two trade strikes until the Undertaker telegraphs a back body drop, allowing the Mastodon to hit a forearm across the back. But the dead man no-sells and chokes Vader in the corner. I do love Undertaker's Hellraiser-style duster jacket. Taker charges into a back elbow, so the Mastodon takes advantage with a clothesline and avalanche attacks, only for Undertaker to rise back to his feet after each big blow, sending Vader out to the floor to regroup. And the dead man leaps off the apron with a double axe handle, followed by some uppercuts before rolling back into the ring, but the Mastodon hotshots Taker when he climbs up onto the apron. Vader then telegraphs a back body drop allowing The Undertaker to hit a form of a Famouser, a body slam, and a leg drop for a two-count, before going for old school, only for the Mastodon to yank the dead man down to crotch himself. See how easy that is? People need to think about that more often. Too big to do old school. Vader goes low and nails some stiff shots at the corner as Todd Pettengill talks to a young girl who saved up her money to follow Shawn Michaels. And I was like, that's called a stalker, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> the Mastodon keeps up the punishment with, an, with avalanche splashes in a corner before coming off the second rope with another avalanche attack for a near fall. Vader then locks on a nerve hold. He's got those big mitts. But Taker escapes with punches before nailing a back suplex that puts both men on the mat. Undertaker makes it to his feet first and attempts an elbow drop, only for the Mastodon to move and drop an elbow to the gut. Now Vader heads up to the second rope, leaping off, only for the dead man to catch and drop him with a power slam, followed by a telegraphed back body drop, allowing the Mastodon to deliver a power bomb for the pin, and no, Taker kicks out and rises to his feet. It's... This is like the most like animated Undertaker we've seen in a long time. I mean, it's been coming out since he's now the the tier Undertaker. It's know, like something came back with him when risen he from, the, from the dead. Yeah, like maybe he's got a little bit of a soul because you know he's uh, selling more stuff with his face and he's moving quicker. It's nice to see. It's about time for just a slight, slight new coat of paint. Undertaker hits a leaping clothesline, old school. And a choke slam, which draws Paul Bearer out to ringside. The dead man closed lines Vader out of the ring, and then flips out of the ring to punch Paul right in the face. And Bearer's rolled in where he begs off, with Vader coming in to attack. No! <laughs> but Taker turns in time to fight him off with a clothesline that takes both men out to the floor. Undertaker places the Mastodon on a guardrail and then runs and leaps off the ring steps, only for Paul to pull Vader out of the way, sending the dead man crashing into the railing. Steps getting a lot of work in these first three matches. Mm -hmm. Bear then also dives slash falls off the apron. Cracks the back of his head against the the rail. Railed! I mean, this is the most bumps we've ever seen him take. And he cracks Taker over the head with the urn. Undertaker makes it back to the ring, 
where the Mastodon places him to deliver a Vader bomb for the pin and, and the win. win. Post-match, Vader and Paul Bearer leave together with Paul pointing at his head that he's pretty smart. Pointing at his head saying, that fucking hurt. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I love that Paul Bearer like, held the urn hiding what I assume to be a predetermined dent. So after he hits the Undertaker, he holds the urn up, and there's a big dent in the urn, and like show how hard he hit him. That was a, a nice, nice little moment. He really laid it into him. I didn't expect Vader to beat the Undertaker. People don't just be beating the Undertaker. And I feel like Vader, I mean, I don't know how this goes, but it feels like his run here is not going to last much longer. It's like Taker's like, just give the man a win already. <laughs> I mean, he is fucking Vader, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Lawler calls the Mastodon and Bearer a match made in heaven, while JR believes it's more like hell. And the dead man's upset at the ref and ends up choke slamming him in anger. Starts kicking the ropes, throwing chairs, even rolling out and confronting Vince, yelling at him. I know, I'm loving this animated like lone wolf undertaker with a little bit of fire in him he's not just got ice water veins and i'm loving it because this was around the real starting moments of vince's character shifting on camera to where he was more than just an announcer people were coming to him like why are you letting this happen and yeah. those of us watching at home at the time you know some of us were old enough to understand what was going on but i remember my nephew like why is he why are they talking to him yeah, so he's just the announcer. He can't do anything. He's the announcer. Yeah. yeah. Get Gorilla out here. McMahon sends us to some more comments. First, we got Stone Cold Steve Austin complaining about the cameraman being where they don't belong, saying he's not talking until he throws 29 pieces of trash over the top rope. British Bulldog then is shown arriving at the arena, saying he has history, asking the fans outside the building who will win. Which they all cheer. Bulldog! Followed by, I'm going to make history by winning the Rumble tonight. Because I'm bizarre. I wasn't sure if he said if he was bizarre or if he was a berserker. He says bizarre. Because that's not really what he is, though. He's no. so bizarre. Mankind is Gold dust bizarre. Is bizarre. Gold dust is bizarre. Gold dust is bizarre because they say that about him right, yeah. all the time. But like that adjective applies to... A handful of other people in the company. Bulldogs and none of them are Davy Boy Smith. No, no. I do. Is yeah. Never a description I would throw for Davy Boy. Yeah, I do love the energy of the Stone Cold promo being like down the hall. Did he say bizarre or the star? <laughs> it started with a B. I know that. Yeah. He said bizarre. I'm a big star. The only reason I thought maybe he said berserker was because it like makes a little bit more sense, even though it's not <laughs> a good line. I'm a berserker. <laughs> So we go to our fourth match. Jerry Estrada, Heavy Metal, and Fuerza Guerrera. Totally. Versus Prera Guayo Sr., Hector Garza, and Canic. Canic might be the worst wrestling name of all time. Mm -hmm. So the last time we saw Estrada, Heavy Metal, Guerrera, and Aguayo Sr. was at AAA When Worlds Collide, episode 134. And Canic is a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. Mm. 
while Garza is a AAA Hall of Famer and is also the uncle of current superstars Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. Cool. I was wondering if there was a relation there. Yep. So Garza and Heavy Metal start us off. Well, actually, we're going back up here a second. Yep. So we've seen some of these AAA guys show up on the last In Your House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They kind of just walked out. I don't remember if we talked about it, but Vince had made a deal with AAA to have some wrestlers come in because he saw over in WCW, they were having some success with having these international guys come in. And doing, uh, you know... But unfortunately, Conan had taken all the good talent to WCW. And so he was only able to really get the older crowd of AAA to come in. And this is like older guys and younger guys? Or is... Or is heavy metal and like Estrada like considered older? I believe Hector's like the young gun, maybe. Hector's the youngest of the bunch. Yeah, and like H- Hector looked a lot like Angel Garza while he was standing in the ring, just with a little longer hair. So, and now we're in San Antonio. And the reason, because we're in San Antonio, close to Mexico, makes thought, sense. Thought he could help bring in a handful of people. A handful of people. Dear 1997 Vince, if you can't tell people that haven't ever wrestled on my TV screen apart from each other, how the fuck are we supposed to? Especially when you call, I don't know, at least two different people in here heavy metal. Yep. <laughs> so Garza and heavy metal start us off, even though JR says that Estrada does. <laughs> so you already know they have no clue who is who. I figured it out. But he uh, does quickly it, correct himself. Yeah, he does. I figured it out as I was watching, but some of these guys I've seen before. So it's I like I know... I know which one Paraguayo is because he's the old guy. Can we get Mike Tanay on the phone? No shit. <laughs> they go back and forth with athletic reversals and holds before bringing Aguayo and Estrada in to trade chops until Estrada nails a clothesline before charging in only to be back body dropped out to the floor. Aguayo looks to dive, but he sees Estrada duck out of the way, so he stops himself and tags in Canic, while Estrada does the same to Guerrero. The two trade strikes before Kanik is whipped to a corner, only to leap up and off with a crossbody. But Guerrero fights back with a body slam and heads up top where he does a flying crane senton. Like he literally does the karate kid yeah. crane kickstand before doing a senton. Kind of fun. Uh, it's funny too, it's like, oh, Kanik's the large guy in a mask. But Kanik avoids and heads up top himself for a flying crossbody. Both men tag out to bring Garza and Heavy Metal back in for more flips and flying arm drags to see no man get an advantage. So they bring Estrada and Kanek back in for a test of strength. They also trade drop kicks and arm drags when Estrada avoids a Kanek charge into a corner, rolling him up for a two count. Guerrero and Aguayo both tag in to exchange strikes when Guerrero hits a leaping knee. He tries for a second one, only for Aguayo to avoid and deliver an arm drag. Guerrero then charges at Aguayo, who moves, sending Guerrero tumbling out of the ring, so Heavy Metal and Kanek both tag in. And Heavy Metal uses his speed, but Kanek uses his size to slow him down, working the leg before bringing Garza in to continue the punishment with a leaping forearm and more leg work. Aguayo with a Samoan drop and a senton on Heavy Metal followed by tagging in Kanek 
only for Heavy Metal to reverse a whip, allowing him to grab hold of Kanek while Guerrero leaps in with a dropkick, only for Kanek to move, causing Heavy Metal to take the blow. Kanek then press slams Guerrero, followed by an Aguayo dropkick that sends Guerrero to the floor. Aguayo then runs the ropes for a tope, but stops and just steps out of the ring onto the apron to leap off with an axe handle onto Guerrero. He was caught in the moment. There's 60,000 people, and then he realized that he was 50, 5, maybe 60. Who knows? <laughs> He's not a young man. While that's happening, Canik press slams Estrada inside the ring, though Vince still thinks this is heavy metal, followed by Garza missing a senton. Estrada charges, only for Garza to back body drop him out of the ring, followed by a twisting body press out on top of him. Back in the ring, Canik press slams heavy metal, followed by Aguayo coming off the top with a double stomp. But he doesn't quite get all of it, so he drops an elbow for the pin. And the win. In the corner where the guy probably could have got a foot on the rope. or, But hey, the double stomp and the elbow. I mean, the double stomp was supposed to be the finish. I know, I know. But that's because that's his move. But he, I do appreciate that he didn't realize he didn't get it all, so he dropped the elbow. The coup de gracias. Vince, JR, and the King then discuss the rumble before promoting the next In Your House. They then send it to Howard Finkel in the ring, where the Fink announces the attendance before listing the rules of the Rumble, which this year entrants are every 90 seconds, and of course both feet must touch the ground. So we go to our fifth match, the Royal Rumble. So Crush is number one, with many members of the Nation of Domination coming out with him. While Ahmed Johnson is number two. Uh oh. So, of course, they brawl. Until number three, Razor Ramon makes his way out with no clock or music as they were having some technical issues throughout this match. Ahmed Johnson's cool. Just saying, he's cool. He's so cool. He was. I know. Razor goes right after Ahmed, but Johnson immediately just throws him over the ropes to be eliminated. Hey, And this is the last time we Out see time. Ramon Out in the time. WWF. Mm. And it might be the last time ever. I'm not sure. It depends on what Japanese shows we can find of Big Teton. But yeah, there's one of these things where like they've been they've tried too long to push this Razor Diesel thing. The fake guys. And as soon as Razor came in and got dumped out, I was like, alright, I know without even looking it up that this is finally the end of this. And that was a good feeling. Ahmed turns his attention back to Crush when Farouk makes an appearance in the aisleway. So Johnson leaps over the ropes to chase him back to the back, eliminating himself. Boo. Not the smartest one there, but you know, he's, you he's do a, what you gotta do. Selling the fact that he's pissed, but like, mm-hmm. I wanna see Ahmed Johnson Pearl River punch somebody or whatever. We saw him do it through a French. I want to see another one. It's a great move. Uh, but do you guys see long hair ECW guy with a BWO shirt in the crowd? Yep. He's come all the way from Philadelphia to San Antonio. There's there's a whole crew of ECW guys over at ringside. Yeah, I know. I caught a few few other ones, but that was the that was the that guy. I wonder if they call it Shawn Michaels wherever he goes to. <laughs> Maybe. 
So number four is Phineas I. Godwin. What's up, Piggy? With Hillbilly Jim, who brawls with Crush, until number five, Stone Cold Steve Austin arrives. Yep, walking in with intent. Pig goes after Stone Cold with stomps and a clothesline, with Crush making a save, holding Phineas for Austin to leap off the second rope, only for Pig to move, causing Crush to take the blow. Phineas then tosses Crush over the ropes to be eliminated, followed by Stone Cold hitting a stunner on Pig and throwing Phineas out to be eliminated. Nice to see an early stunner in the, in the match. Number six is Bart Gunn, who is sent to the ropes, but Austin telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Bart to hit a famouser and some elbow drops. Called it the slock, slop rock drop. Yeah, it is pretty fucking sloppy. <laughs> yeah. Bart then charges at Stone Cold, who tries to toss him out, but Bart catches himself on the ropes, so Austin just clotheslines him out to be eliminated. Thanks for coming. Stone Cold does some push-ups and checks his imaginary watch. Oh, that little gif that's lasted forever and ever and ever Mm -hmm. and ever. As number seven, Jake, the Snake Roberts, enters. The Jake goes with jabs and an arm wrench, all with the snake bag in the middle of the ring. When Austin fights back with right hands, only for Jake to keep wrist control to nail a short arm clothesline. <gasps> DDT. As number eight British Bulldog makes his way out, Roberts goes for the DDT, only for Stone Cold to counter into a back body drop that dumps the snake over the ropes to be eliminated. It was the last one when he got barred out. I was like, God damn it, they're really doing it. Last year, Stone Cold had like five matches with Savio Vega, and. It felt good. Big energy here. Also, JR says that this is the sixth Royal Rumble for uh, Jake Roberts, the most in WWF history. At the time, yeah. Yeah, at the time. I was like, huh. I mean, yeah, obviously at the time. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. But it was a real thanks for coming, Jake. <laughs> Cause, uh... This would also be the last time we see Jake in a WWF ring. Yeah. No. Davey Boy then charges right in with a clothesline to Austin, stopping him in a corner before delivering a running power slam and a faceplant. And number nine is Piroth, who attacks Bulldog, only to receive a spine buster. But he fights back to knock Davey Boy down and apply a chin lock, when Stone Cold comes off the second rope with a double axe handle to Piroth. Bulldog and Austin team up to work him over until Davey Boy remembers that he hates Stone Cold. Number 10 is the Sultan with the Iron Sheik. What's up, Big Quiche? And the last time we saw the Sultan was at Royal Rumble 96, episode 183, as Fatu. Why can't he just stay Fatu? Sultan is not a good name. Well, because he was making a a change, making a difference last time we saw him. Mm -hmm. I know. Hip-Hop America, or I don't remember what it was, but... (laughs) He's trying to face run. Austin and Bulldog continue to brawl, while the Sultan goes after Piroth, before number 11, Mil Mascaras, comes to the ring. Mil is a international professional wrestling, an NWA, a professional wrestling, a WWE, and a wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. I mean, he is a... And I believe the uncle of Alberto Del Rio. I mean, <laughs> no Mascaras is like. I don't know. I don't know no. if anyone's actually claiming that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Does Mascaras still claim that? Who knows? But uh, yeah, Mil Mascaras is kind of like the 
the guy that picked up where like El Santo left off, basically, yeah. where it's like this is the guy. This is your your Bruno San Martino or your Lone Ranger. <laughs> Or yeah, or your your Hogan who picked up for yeah. Bruno. Mascaras trades chops with the Sultan before hitting a running crossbody, but the Sultan comes back with a bad looking belly to belly suplex. Yep. Number twelve is Hunter Hurst Helmsley, who comes down where everyone's brawling away, when Bulldog nails a pair of clotheslines that sends the Sultan over the ropes to be eliminated. Stone Cold tosses Triple H over the ropes. But he holds on, so Austin keeps up the punishment with a second rope elbow drop. Number 13 is Owen Hart. With a slammy. Who Vince calls Brett's rotten stinking brother. While Mascaris hits another running crossbody, this time to peer off. Stone Cold goes right after Owen, with Davy Boy making the save. Lifting Austin up on his shoulders to dump over. Only for Hart to come over and end up dumping Bulldog out to be eliminated by accident. The tag partners argue for a moment with Owen saying he was trying to get Stone Cold, that it was an accident. We're family. I love you, man. Bulldog just calls him an idiot. (laughs) Number 14 is Goldust with Marlena. Speaking of bizarre. Yeah, bizarre. Trading bizarre for bizarre. (laughs) Who comes in to brawl with Austin, only to receive a body slam and a knee drop. Mascaris has Hart over the ropes, but he holds on to stay in the match, as number 15, Cybernetico, makes his way down to go right after Mill. Uh, and this is Goldust's first Royal Rumble. You know, he hasn't been here too long, but he's had pretty, like, big matches, singles matches on most uh, shows. I was trying to remember if he was in the last one or not. Yeah, according to JR, he was not. I'll trust JR's statement yeah me too that's um i didn't look it up i it's heard like jr say it and he's i was typically like more right then that's a that's a decent factoid unless he's trying to name guys in a six-man tag yes yeah you know, he's believe this... me he's not gonna make a, an incorrect call about a texas boy no this is dusty Rhodes' kid mm-hmm. gold dust with a clothesline to triple h while mascaras tries to remove cybernetico's mask in a corner before the golden one tosses hunter over the ropes but he holds on and rolls back in Number 16 is Wild Man, Mark Marrow. Marco. With Sable. While Piroth and Mascaris dumps Cybernetico out of the ring to be eliminated. Mascara then dumps Piroth out before climbing to the top to leap out onto him to eliminate both himself and Piroth. My thought was, Mil Mascaris was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come in, but... No one's putting me over the top rope. I'll just jump out. Yep. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's exactly the reason why. I mean, I didn't look it up, but it was painfully obvious. Marrow, Triple H, and Goldust are all brawling when the Golden One would deliver a pair of clotheslines to Hunter to send him out of the ring to be eliminated. Number 17 is Latin Lover. I like that there's so many times in Rumbles where there's like 10 guys in the ring and you get to that midpoint where you're just like I can't see anything and nothing matters here people are pairing off they're doing moves they're keeping stuff quick but the right people are in here like oh and Mero just got here Goldust Austin there's four guys in the 17th is coming in uh, now like it doesn't work like that 
And we haven't seen the Latin lover since AAA When Worlds Collide, episode 134. And he comes down with thrust kicks to Gold Dust and Owen before body slamming Hart as well. The Golden One tosses Owen over the ropes, but he skins the cat to come back in and clotheslines Gold Dust over the ropes to be eliminated. Boo. I'm trying to remember, was Latin Lover one of the Madonna's boyfriend's posse? I think so. Okay. Yeah. That's where I keep picturing him, but I couldn't remember. Number 18 is Farouk with members of the Nation of Domination. And he runs down and stomps on the Latin Lover who fires back with chops before charging at the militant, only to be back body dropped over the ropes to be eliminated. Now Austin charges in with a clothesline to Farouk, leading to them both brawling, when all of a sudden Ahmed Johnson would arrive with a 2 by 4 sending the militant trying to escape to no avail. Ahmed smacks Farouk multiple times with the oversized 2 by 4 It's huge. Yeah. Knocking him over the ropes to be eliminated, followed by chasing him down the aisleway to the back. Yeah, it's like two by four yards because <laughs> that was way too fucking big. And while that was all happening, Owen and Marrow had been fighting in a corner, only for Stone Cold to run over and dump them both out to be eliminated, leaving him standing alone in the ring. And who could be coming in next? Number 19, Savio Vega. His biggest, his biggest rival. The two men are brawling away until Savio hits a catapult into a turnbuckle, followed by a spinning heel kick. But after fighting over a waist lock, Stone Cold hotshots Vega across the top rope, allowing Austin to clothesline Savio out of the rink. Yeah, and that's the end of that feud. Thank God. It was a nice feeling that it's like, this is the most excited I've seen for Savio Vega to come down. And I had that feeling that Austin's going to make quick work of him. And I was like, all right, that means we're moving on. Because it felt like it was just never going to end. Yes. And Stone Cold just like, he's like waving at the back. It's like, bring him out. Bring, bring him out. out. Yeah. Ask him for another. And it comes in the form of number 20, Double J, Jesse James. Say that again. Who we haven't seen since In Your House 2, episode 160. Damn it, it has been a while. Oh, and man. they trade strikes before James does some strutting, allowing Austin to just toss him over the ropes to be eliminated. Still, I mean, I know it's Jesse James and it was Jeff Jarrett, but can we call him Double J? I guess that's why they turn him into a road dog. He's the real Double J. <laughs> sure he is. And Stone Cold takes a seat to rest on the turnbuckles. When the music of number 21, Brett, the Hitman Heart, hits with Austin giving the greatest reaction. Yep. Yeah, I mean... His yeah, his big reaction because he's just been unfazed by everybody, just mowing him down, and this is somebody that could do something about it. Brett and Stone Cold trade punches and clotheslines, with the Hitman gaining an advantage with an atomic drop before applying the sharpshooter. When number twenty-two, Jerry the King Lawler's music hit, and as he's getting up, he's, he's taking he's his the, yeah, he's, he's taking his jacket off. And right before he takes the headset off, he says, It takes a king. And then he enters the ring. Hart immediately punches him to send him back over the ropes to be eliminated. Where he walks back to the commentary booth, puts the headset back on to know a king. 
I mean, and this is like the only comedy spot in the Rumble, and it's perfect. The perfect spot. It doesn't overdo it, and it's just like, all right, that was funny. Granted, it didn't. This match doesn't need that at all because it's been good and fast and entertaining. But it's a, a nice little chuckle for the two thirds the way in or whatever. Brett returns his attention to Austin with a side Russian leg sweep, second rope elbow drop, headbutt to the gut, and a backbreaker. When number 23, Diesel, would come out, attacking the hitman with the turnbuckle smashes and knee lifts before choking and trying to eliminate Stone Cold, only to get his eyes raked. Number 24 is Terry Funk, with JR telling us that he and Austin had a confrontation the night before on Shotgun Saturday night. So the Funksters laying it in with left hands, elbows, and headbutts. Terry ends up being saved from elimination by Hart, but Funk decides the thinking with left hands and a pile driver. And number 25 is Rocky Maivia, who comes in with right hands for Austin and Diesel, while Brett tries to dump Terry, only for Funk to get his arms wrapped up in the ropes to save himself. It's funny to see those uh, signature The Rock rights coming from Rock, because this is the second time, maybe third time we've seen Rocky Maivia. Mm-hmm. But yeah, him coming in with you know a little more confidence and that energy and those... Uh, Big exaggerated uh, rights that only The Rock can throw. Number 26 comes out, and it's Mankind. And I want to point out that we have six legends in the ring at this point. Absolutely. Not legends at the moment in 97. All-time legends. But all-time legends in Austin, Funk, Rock, Mankind. Bret Hart. Bret Hart. And yes, it's Diesel, but we all know what Diesel becomes. Yeah, yeah, a pretty scary dentist. No, he already did that. A brother of destruction. A brother of destruction. And Mankind goes right after Terry, because why wouldn't he? Exactly. Trying to toss him out, only for Funk to get caught up in the ropes once again, while Stone Cold suplexes the hitman, but Hart fires back to lock on a sleeper. Austin escapes with a jawbreaker as number 27 Flash Funk enters the ring. And Brett delivers a pile driver to Stone Cold while Flash fires off the top with a double clothesline to Terry and Diesel. And everybody's brawling away as number 28 Vader arrives, clubbing everybody with stiff shots, followed by an avalanche attack to Austin. Number 29 is Henry O. Godwin with Hillbilly Jim who makes his way out with a clothesline to the Mastodon, while everyone else just continues to brawl. Number 30, and final entrant, Lights out. is The Undertaker, Lights on. who attacks everyone, handing out choke slams to Stone Cold and Vader, double knock and knockers to Flash and Diesel, before everybody returns to brawling. And uh, when The Undertaker comes out, Vince McMahon says... Uh, and here comes the winner of the 1997 uh, Royal Rumble. Yep. He's, he's all all behind uh, Taker. Dead man walking. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably what Undertaker yelled at him. He was like, you better make me the winner. Yeah, I'm sure the Undertaker yeah, yelled at Vince McMahon. I mean, we saw it. Oh, yeah, that. I thought you meant it like real life. It's yeah. like, no. 
he's kind do of, you want cream or sugar yeah he's kind of like yeah the most solid guy Flash charges at the Mastodon who catches him and sends Flash over the ropes with a fallaway slam to be eliminated the dead man and hog are trading strikes when Taker headbutts him away allowing him to toss Henry over the ropes only for Godwin to hold on and roll back in and all nine men are brawling when Hogg sends the Undertaker to a corner. But he bounces out to grab Henry by the throat, tossing him over the ropes to be eliminated. Rocky's whipped to a corner by Mankind, but he leaps up and off with a crossbody back at him, only for Foley to lock in the mandible claw and push Maivia over the ropes to be eliminated. That's a funny way to eliminate somebody, is the mandible claw and then like... Whoopsie-daisy, <laughs> just push you over. Terry goes for a running straddle onto Mankind, but Foley moves in time, so Mankind charges in with a clothesline that ends up taking them both over the ropes. But they both hold on. And Terry gets back in the ring and attempts to suplex Mankind back in. What a pal. Only for Foley to reverse, sending Terry out to the floor to be eliminated. Undertaker then nails Mankind with a big boot that sends him out to the floor to be eliminated as well. It's a, it's a nice, uh, it's a real smart one, because, you know, Undertaker and Mankind have had their, had their problems, and it just means a little bit more for Taker to give him a little, the little push out instead of them, you know, him and Funk both getting dumped out at the same time. Yep. Now Terry and Mankind just begin to brawl at ringside, which draws the complete attention of all of the refs while Brett tosses Stone Cold out of the ring. For a crazy pop. People are like, what? But Austin realizes that no ref saw him land on the mats. So he jumps back in the ring where he dumps Taker and Vader over to be eliminated. Yeah, they're brawling on the ropes. So there's a little push, a little push will put, put him over. While Hitman tosses Diesel out as well. Stone Cold then charges in to dump Hart over the ropes to be declared the winner by the refs. I mean, Bret Hart doesn't know, doesn't see Stone Cold behind him. Like, nope. It's happening on opposite sides of the rings. Dumps Vader and Taker over. Bret Hart just thought he won because he, he put thought out... Diesel was the last one. Yeah, and there goes. Uh... Or if he didn't, he thought that. Those two guys, there's two guys that are at each other. Either way, it doesn't matter. But he didn't see Stone Cold come behind him. Totally cheated. Post-match, Brett jumps back in the ring to argue with the refs, even shoving them down, before heading to the announce table, where the hitman grabs Vince by the jacket, screaming at him, demanding that McMahon do something about it. I love that Stone Cold, like, as soon as Brett starts yelling at the refs or whatever, he just leaves like the snake that he is, just casually to the back. And JR's like sitting in his chair and he's like, Yeah, Brett, I saw what happened. While Lawler's yelling, He needs to be suspended for life. <laughs> so, a fun fact Austin would tie Hogan's record of 10 eliminations oh. in a single rumble. Wow. Did not realize that was Hogan's record. Or Austin's. At the time. At the yeah. time, yeah, yeah. As of 97. Yeah. We'll have a few more by other people later on. Oh, yeah. 
So Vince then sends us to a video package about our main event with the narrator speaking about bad attitudes, saying it's second nature for Psycho Sid, while Sean has been provoked as we see highlights and sound bites from their matches. At Survivor Series, Sid attacked Jose Lothario, so Michaels acted on instinct, choosing his mentor over the title while Psycho Sid acted on a killer instinct, offering no sympathy and no apologies. The Heartbreak Kid would call it a great opportunity to regain the title in his hometown, but nothing is sacred to Sid, who attacked Jose's son on an episode of Raw. Not Peter. That's his name, right? Peter Lothario. <laughs> yeah, P- okay. Peter. P- P- Peter. The narrator questions, which monster will be unleashed, Sean or Sid? McMahon then sends it to an interview that JR had done earlier in the day with a flu-ridden Michaels on an episode of Superstars. Now, does he have the flu, or is he just high as hell? He actually had the flu. Okay. Because I can't tell, because this is a very subdued Michaels... um, promo like literally he was asleep in vince's office for the entire day so this really is his flu game yeah and the heartbreak kid is excited and nervous but he will be ready before bringing up psycho sid's attack on the lotharios sean claims jose means more to him than anyone except his parents but if you ask jim Cornette, he'll tell you michael treated him pretty poorly <laughs> the heartbreak kid then says Sid snaps when he's threatened, and he warns him that 70,000 fans will threaten him tonight, and that he may not feel well, but he will feel like a champion when it's all over. We then see Sean and Lothario walking backstage towards the ring, before also seeing Sid do the same. As we head to our sixth match, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, with Jose Lothario. Versus Psycho Sid for the WWF Championship. The Heartbreak Kid gets in Sid's face, only to be shoved down multiple times. But Sean comes right back with a crossbody and ramming Psycho Sid's head into the mat before kicking him out to the floor. Michaels follows out to run Sid into a guardrail, only for Psycho Sid to retaliate by tossing the Heartbreak Kid into an apron and lifting him into a press slam only for Sean to rake the eyes to escape danger. Back in the ring, Michaels comes off the top, but Sid catches him with a power slam and starts to focus on the back with a camel clutch. And we see Pete Lothario, Jose's son, he's shown in the front row, where he's cheering on his friend, when Psycho Sid would charge into a big boot, but he recovers to whip HBK into a flare flip that sends him out to the floor. Sid follows out to ram Sean into a ring post. Post it. Before returning to the ring to wear him down with more chin locks, whipping him from corner to corner, and a bear hug. And now Michaels breaks free momentarily with a clap of the ears as we see the Heartbreak Kid's family in the front row. But Psycho Sid's able to nail some forearms to go right back to the bear hug. Sean escapes this time with an atomic drop delivers some second rope forearms only for Sid to catch him and hug him once more. I think he's doing a pretty good job of getting the bear hug 
over-considering. It's a bear hug. This time, he ends up taking him down to the mat and gets a two-count. Psycho Sid then hits a leg drop for an airfall before going back to work on the back when Michaels wiggles free of a power slam to nail some right hands and a body slam of his own. The heartbreak kid with a jumping forearm and a top rope elbow drop. He then tunes up the band, only for Sid to catch the kick and backdrop Sean over to the floor. Now Psycho Sid follows out to keep up the attack, hitting a power bomb on the floor. He then takes a moment to grab both Jose and Pete Lothario, who's jumped to his father's defense, but lets them go when he sees Michael stirring. Yeah, he's legitimately got him in like each a choke or like each guy's neck in in one of his hands. It's a funny visual. The first ever father son double choke slam. <laughs> Our two competitors roll back into the ring where Sid and the Heartbreak Kid reverse each other's whip attempts to end up boomeranging Sean into the ref. Ref bump. Ouch. Psycho Sid hits a choke slam and makes the cover. But Got the ref the... is still out. Got him by the goozle. Hearing Vince McMahon say goozle and like was maybe the most southern thing he's ever done. But all of a sudden a second ref runs out to make the count for a near fall. Sid is throwing haymakers at Michaels in a corner. And the ref tries to separate him, get him out of the corner. Only for him to be punched down by Psycho Sid as well. Yeah, Sid, full on, it's not one of those accidental punches. He just turns and decks the guy in the face. Bad day for refs. Mm -hmm. Sid's choking the heartbreak kid in the corner when Jose jumps on the apron. Drawing Psycho Sid away and allowing Sean to grab a TV camera. To nail Sid over the head with several times. A little bit of, uh, you know, you reap what you sow. Also, they're in the corner. You can see Sean call the spot to Sid. Be like, now it's time to go to the apron. <laughs> and the original ref crawls his way over, but slowly, only for a two count. Slowly. As he was slow getting there. Michaels again tunes up the band. Into that big old crowd. To deliver sweet chin music. For the pin... And, and the win. With a very slow count. And, and new! Post-match, JR says the kid came home and won the WWF title. That he defeated the monster. Jose celebrates with the heartbreak kid while his family is applauding before Sean bows to the title and the fans. Yeah, he does like a full-on Wayne's World, I'm not worthy, to all four sides of the arena. The celebration continues with Michaels hugging his parents, more of his family, and even Vince before twerking on him. Yeah, that was a little weird. He gets on the table and rubs his butt on Vince's shoulder. So we get the McMahon fake laugh as we go to a highlight package of the evening. I want to say this. Matt got through that pretty quick. This is after this match is over, Sexy Boy plays... Four times while he's hugging people it's and like, fans. It's like eight minutes. Yeah, it plays four times. I literally looked I at. It, the, uh, I literally uh, looked. I literally looked at, it and I was like, "Are we doing the Hogan thing here? Yeah, we are. We are. He, we were trying to do the Hogan thing. This is the best chance he's got because it's sixty thousand people. Sixty thousand people in San Antonio. Like that's the closest thing Shawn Michaels is ever going to get to like the Hogan thing at this point with the WWF not doing so hot. Mm-hmm. 
Last thing here before we move on. This would be the last time. Don't say it. We see Jose Lothario. Uh, you know what? Nothing against Jose Lothario, but him and Sean's relationship never tracked on camera, never believed it for a second. And if Cornette is telling us the truth, which. Why would he lie to why, us? Yeah. I mean, he's not he, like he, You might not agree with him, but he's never told a lie in his in his mind. In his mind. In his mind, like it might not be uh, true, but you know, he's not. Uh, yeah. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of the Royal Rumble, nineteen ninety-seven? I still need to know what Jose's thoughts are. <laughs> or not, Jose Corny's. Well, he said that Sean didn't treat Jose very well. Ah, okay. Yeah, it never didn't feel like that. They were friends at all. I was looking at it up just to make sure that. But Jose, Sean didn't treat anybody well. He was alive at this point. Had passed. Yeah, but it, you know, it's like if you're going to treat somebody well, at least treat the guy that you have to second that's going to second you to the ring. That's trying to make help you become a baby face, a, a successful baby face. But you know, supposedly Sean's a better guy these days. But it's your turn, buddy. Ah, this was a little of everything. We had. Let me flip back here to the start of my notes. I had fun with the Goldust Marlena Hunter Mr. Hughes match. It was a good way to start off the show. Nice little welcome back for Mr. Hughes. You got to do something. Oh, I'm it's kinda like it's it's nineteen ninety seven again and I'm already done with Ahmed Johnson. Ah, I love him. I mean I liked him. He's he's big dude. He had potential but it just yeah, it's a little late. It's like he was his own worst enemy, and once he came back from injury, it was all downhill from there. I wish there'd be a little bit more info regarding the... George and Adam? Well, George and Adam, yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But also the uh, the AAA guys, because, again, I don't really know too, too much about them, and then it's just all of a sudden, here's seven or eight guys, so... Know these names that nobody knows. Rumble was fun. It gave us one of those... Made a star. Complicated finishes. Made a star. Set up all kinds of different storylines. Um, oh, the main event. Eh. I for this one, like the opening match and the rumble were the shining stars for me, and everything else was just kind of middle of the road. Kind of like a, a good in your house, yeah. like match wise. I don't know. I have a lot of fun with in your house, but there's like some things you're like, oh, this is a good in your house match yeah i mean i know they needed to fill a show but they didn't give us a whole lot of substance light to fill on the town, show. brother damn it conan yeah i think the rumble match is great especially considering how light they are on town because it doesn't drag there's so much like everything tracks there's never so many people in the ring that like you can't focus on all the things that are happening people are getting pile drive people are you know, taking moves. It's there's actual wrestling happening instead of like two guys punching each other and looking around, like waiting for a cue or whatever. I think it flowed really well, and I think it's the highlight. Also, love that the finish. Everybody knows it's not one of those things where it's like, did he or didn't he go out or like, or he's like sorry about it or whatever. Everybody knows exactly what the deal is when it happens. We pointedly see Stone Cold cheat, and we see. Brett throw a fit. We know Stone Cold's wrong, but the rules are the rules, and this isn't. We're not watching tape to, to to change it or whatever. So I think that's really great. But like I was talking about in your house, I think all the other matches were like 
solid in your house matches. The six-man Mexican wrestlers lucha match or whatever. It didn't need to be here. I guess it was kind of nice, but it didn't do anything for me because I know it's not going to mean anything else. It's just like that winning match, Rome. That match is literally yeah. for the fans yeah. and the crowd. It's just for the people. It's just because they're in San in, Antonio. In the, in and the, the other reason is because they need some of those guys to be in the Rumble because they're light on talent. Like I said, considering they're throwing people like Mil Mascaris and Cybernetico in the Rumble, like it, it doesn't matter because all the important things still feel important. And nothing... Every Rumble to me gets to a point where I'm bored out of my mind. This is probably the least boring Rumble. It's obviously recency bias, but, you know, normally I get tired of them at some point. And this one kept my attention the whole time, which is about as big a praise as I can give to a Rumble of any kind. I mean, I, we're pretty much all right there. The undercard's pretty underwhelming, mm-hmm. um, and it's not helped by the crowd at all. This crowd sat on their hands for... Pretty much most of the evening. Yeah. But that's what happens when you give free tickets or discounted tickets. I mean, so you don't get your hardcore fans. Exactly. But I mean, yeah, it's like that. we just last week watched Tokyo Dome, Wrestling World 97. 60,000 people there. Everybody cared about everything. There's some things they cared about more, obviously, but like everything did get a reaction to some degree. Sorry, Jericho. But like you said, this is one of my favorite rumbles that we've that we've watched. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it's, even going forward, I I would say it's probably one of my favorite rumbles of all time. Mm-hmm. So, kind of makes at least that match a must-watch. If, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it has, the rumble itself has all the elements. You know, you got your cheer spots, your boo spots, your controversy. I legitimately think everything else on the show is not required viewing, but the rumble is if there's a title match on a show, you should probably just watch it. How long can it be? But by no means is this the best Sid match or the best Sean match. No. I'm bummed that Sid they, Sid was I mean, over and they here, took the belt here, off of him. Here's the thing about the main event. Yeah. With Sean being sick, Sid had to carry the match. Mm-hmm. And that's and not, that's, known not that's not a spot that you really ever want to put him in. No. Not, by no means do I think Sid is terrible, but he's... He's not the uh, psychology man. No. But we're all ready for Austin Michaels, WrestleMania? Absolutely. Totally. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Steve Austin sitting on the turnbuckle looking at his fake watch. Yep. That. One of the images. And the reaction to Hart coming out. Yeah, he's like, bring him out, bring him out, bring him out. And then the only person that he gives gives a shit about is that when Bret Hart comes out. Because it's like, oh, well. There's, if, yeah, he doesn't believe that there's anybody better than him outside of Bret Hart. Maybe Um, Shawn Michaels, but he knows that he's not going to come into this ring. The fractures and the foundation, or the Hart foundation, I guess you could say, with Owen and... Bulldog. That was like, filmed really well. It's planting a little seed. Because, like, it looks... It's like, oh, I can see how it was an accident. But the, they caught it on camera to where it's like, oh, was it an accident? Did Owen do it on purpose? It looks like maybe he did. It's not, like... It's the right amount of yeah. of that, like, it's which right isn't always easy to pull off. And it opens the door for togetherness. Family friendship. 
What else? Best moments. We saw a little D-Lo there. Oh, yeah, D-Lo was fun. Was nice little site. Yeah, that was fun. For sure. I liked the, you know, I know... That that and the Pearl River Plunge to the... Table were To the table. So, like, literally, the two people that I probably care the most about in that Ahmed Farouk match is the two men in suits that have no have no names at this point. I like Ahmed Johnson, but I under, I know that it doesn't go anywhere. It's messed up, but it sucks because he was getting over, and he's awesome and very explosive, and then he goes away and comes back, and now he's doing this for too long. And, like, he's still cool and explosive. It's just that that time has passed. There's a Stone Cold Steve Austin over here now. I know this should probably be under most disappointing, but I'm going to give it a best moment just because it made me laugh. That's fine. Paraguayo going for the tope suicide and then just stopping, <laughs> stepping out of the ring to jump off the apron. <laughs> I, I got to kick out of it for sure. I, mean, I don't want to see the guy hurt himself. What if he was all sorts of confused and... No, never mind, that wouldn't make sense. I'm like, what if somebody told him that if you go over the top rope... You'll get disqualified. <laughs> you're disqualified uh, or you lose. I don't think they do that in Mexico. Uh, <laughs> another funny thing is that like Mil Mascaris goes over the top yeah. rope, but but technically, does not. Technically, if you watch that, he actually climbs out through the middle rope oh. and then climbs up to the top and then jumps out. So he technically... He's still in it. He technically shouldn't have been eliminated. Um, at that point, because he didn't go over the top rope. That's funny. But we all know why he leaped out onto the crowd. Yeah, I mean, the, the post... He wasn't, he wasn't going to let someone else yeah. throw him over the rope. The rounds. post is higher than the top rope, but he didn't go over it. He was just above it when he jumped out. Yeah. <laughs> King's little... Perfectly well, in yes. the place. Perfectly placed spot for comedy that didn't over overextend itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was very nice. A little bit of levity in your rumble. How about most disappointing? Having all the AAA guys. Like, yeah. that's that's the biggest one because it's just... Like, the match was fine. Like... Mm-hmm. The match was what it was. We just... But we, all we didn't care at all about it because no. we know that none of these people matter yeah. in this context. If they mattered, they would not be the match before the rumble when everybody's scrambling last second to... I will say, get a beer refill or hit the restroom. Really interesting that the Rumble, normally it's like, oh. It's usually the main event. Well, no, no, just Rumble. not even that. The, the, all the, they're like, they filled it with all these uh, Mexican wrestlers, but a lot of the times they would have filled it with tag go- team wrestlers. Tag team wrestlers are guys from the past, just mm-hmm. like guys that you haven't seen in a long time. And it's like, there's none of them. There's like Jake, but that I mean, doesn't really count. I really big. feel like Vince did a good job. And, and, it's a lot of the reason why this is one of my favorites because, I mean, I mentioned it. There was legit six legends in the ring at one point, mm-hmm. at closer to the end. Like, if you look at the final, when Mankind comes out, he's twenty six. That's when the six legends are. You then have Flash Funk. I'm not gonna say he's a legend, but he's known. Yeah, he could get a legends contract. You then have Vader, legend. Absolutely. Henry O. Godwin, not, not a legend. legend, but we know that he's there. Like literally, the Godwins were the only tag wrestlers. Yeah. Other than maybe, Pier- I mean, if you want to count Pierre off and Cybernetico. But, yeah, but like, I don't know. As far I as count them as Triple A. I mean, guys. we had got Bart. Really they got they Bart and no Billy until now. Bart's not Bart and Billy are broken oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah, they are. We got Bart, but no Billy. 
No, I know we got Bart and Billy, but I was like, oh wait, yeah, they did break up. And we know Henry got into the match because Undertaker was like, let's get my buddy a payday, you know. Yeah. And then Undertaker's 30th. So literally, like the final 10 guys, other than Henry O'Godwin, and maybe to the lesser to extent, Flash Funk, you literally have some of the biggest names in WWF. And, and Flash Funk's more famous for being too cold Scorpio, really. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that just shows you the, like, depth of the main event card. Like, obviously we knew Rocky, out of those 10 guys, Rocky Bybee is definitely not winning it. Terry Funk's pro- definitely not winning it because he's not a WWF guy. I mean, it's harder. Austin was basically... But, I mean, you had but Undertaker, Undertaker, you had Undertaker and Vader as yeah. well. But, like... It's established there, there was nothing. There was more bigger names, so it feels like a more legitimate win. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, your wrestlers that you have from the past are, you know, a handful of them are now over in WCW, and they're not going anywhere. Others, I don't know it's if like, they're yeah, able to return. He's not going to pull in Bundy. He doesn't give a shit. Like, yeah. I know what he's going to... It'd have been great for them to have Tito Santana come back for this one, but I don't see that really happening. Also, it's been this thing where they're talking to the new generation for so long. Like, it's not yeah. the new generation if you're, if you're Royal Rumble is fucking Jimmy Stuperfly, Snooka, yeah. King Kong Bundy, yeah. fucking Tito Santana. I love those guys, but... Like, you have one spot, one or two spots for a legend, and you did Terry Funk, because you're in Texas, mm-hmm. and then you had four Triple A guys. And so Jake, that's five of your yeah. spots. That's really all you need to give to just some random ass people. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, Bulldog is one of those guys that like has been around for a long time, but he's never really gone away in a real life. He's he's working for one company or the other, but I yeah. mean, he's been wrestling longer than probably most of the, just about anybody there. How about best performer of the night? I mean, we just Stone Cold's. We keep saying it's a coming out party. It's a coming out party. This is. Yeah. On that long road, uh, that not, I mean, it's not really that long of a road, mm-hmm. but this is uh, more of that personality coming out. And uh, to see him, a guy who has not, like, sold any kind of fear at all since he's been here, do it for Bret Hart. No, I'm all for Austin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Most surprising? I forgot Funk had come back for this one. Yeah, I was pumped for. Uh, Terry, I mean, first sighting of D'Lo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was that was first black hat. I forgot about that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. See, I didn't even pick up on it, but it totally makes sense. Um, I mean, we're just so used to Jr. wearing the black hat that like him wearing a black yeah, hat and, like, just like doesn't really pop it. And but, for the majority of a pay per view, like the camera's not on him very yeah. much anyway. So like he could have been wearing a black hat for the last like three shows we watched, and I wouldn't even yeah. tracked it. And then, like I said, while we were talking about it, watching it back then as it was happening, the most surprising thing for me then was the reality, or things becoming more real as far as Brett getting pissed off and going to yell at Vince. Taker, Taker getting pissed off, going yeah. to yell at Vince, and then, you know, slapping around a ref. You know, those were things that didn't happen with those two specifically. Yeah, Taker was the dead man, but he was never really one that in a sense, broke character on camera. And, mm-hmm. you know, he showed his frustration directly to Vince McMahon, not as, you know, granted, yeah, I'm sure he was as The Undertaker, but it was a different side of Taker that we had seen. Um, and then Brett, the all-around good guy for the last however many years, and now he's... He's the one with the brawl, the, you know, the Brett's calming him down. 
yep. at the end of the show. Another thing which, uh, I mean, it's been at least a year since we watched the Rumble, but the uh, everybody works twice, with the exception of like maybe the six men match because they got other Mexican wrestlers for the Rumble. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, does every, people don't always wrestle twice in a Rumble. But I was like, yeah. oh, everybody's working double uh, overtime here. I mean, that's part of making sure that the Rumble is stacked with people that, yeah, that you care about. Legitimizes, yeah, what's happening in the ring. And Austin's one of the few that, one of the handful of like actual people that anybody cares about that didn't work twice. So he's fresh too. Kind of give some of those guys an out if you want to look at it that way. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Ron Simmons had won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in Baltimore, but was now returning to the same city to face the man named Big Van Vader in a rematch on December 30th, 1992. Vader would gain an early advantage with clotheslines and stiff shots in a corner, but Simmons would fire back with clotheslines of his own before slamming Big Van Vader on the floor. Ron would attempt a superplex, only to be punched away, allowing Vader to leap off. But Simmons would catch him with a power slam and work the back. Big Van Vader was able to change the momentum with the suplexes and splashes, but Ron would kick out. Simmons would deliver a spine buster and a power slam, which had won him the belt the first time they met, when Harley Race would jump on the apron, causing a distraction. Vader would avoid a three-point stance to send Ron out to the floor, where Vader would attempt to bring him back in the hard way. But Simmons floats over and nails a back suplex for a near fall. Ron would then charge in, only for Vader to catch him to hit a tombstone shoulder breaker for the pin and become champion for the second time. Big Van Vader would then begin a feud with a former champ, that would span the globe. Mm. Next week, WWF Monday Night Raw from January 20th, 1997. The Raw after the Rumble, baby. I mean, you know. The next day. We don't cover a Bullwater Raws, so I imagine something goes down. Yet. Yet. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, we're going to be like, well, we have to watch the No Choppy PP episode. Yeah, fuck. That's why we watched this whole thing? Because no choppy pee-pee? <laughs> you don't remember that angle? Off the top of my head, no. You know I mean, it's just a famously stupid angle. It's kind of uh, okay. trying to chop off Val Venus's penis. That's right. Yeah. It's not a good angle, but no. it's funny. It's, I mean, I was, it's memorable for a reason. Okay. Music from this week's show is Hit Me by James Griffith and Mark Matthews. And Shawn Michaels won our main event, so we play... Sexy Boy by Jimmy Hart. Ah, ah. How was that again? I don't know. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> ah. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate, review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars and no stars. Don't waste your time. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Folks, we're going back to Texas. I've already taken us to church, so I'm going to need some other ideas of yeah. what, what do people eat or drink or 
cook or whatever in Texas. Shane uh, took us to church, sent us to hell. <laughs> hell frozen over. If you have any of those things, you can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. Did we say did, did we say X enough? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I heard it through the grapevine that our show was the inspiration for the new name of that social media. I'm not going to put that out there. <laughs> no, I don't want the blame for that. I do not want the blame. I don't care what it's called. It was it's a stupid it's a stupid thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to you next week. Later.